Thank you so much for joining me on Teach Me How to Money. We have an amazing guest this week. We have Brianna McGurin. She's a personal finance expert at NerdWallet. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for being here. So tell me a little bit about what is NerdWallet and what do you do there? NerdWallet is a personal finance website and mobile app, and we help people make financial decisions. So we offer content, tools, advice on anything from getting a mortgage to paying off student loans to building credit. So if you're trying to do one of those things, you can come to nerdwallet.com and get advice on them. That's great. So it's a good resource for, for beginners. Yeah, absolutely. And then my role is I'm a personal finance expert and spokesperson. So I come on shows like this. I go on TV and talk to reporters to give consumers advice on various things. I also write a personal finance advice column for people in their 20s and 30s called Ask Brianna. I have seen it and it is great. Thank you. It's really useful. So something that uh, people have written into us to ask about is credit cards. Do you find that you write about credit cards a lot? I do. It's a huge question, especially for young people. I think because there's this sense that credit is important. We know that you need credit, but not a lot of people actually understand how it works or how to build it responsibly or what the actual issues can be. Absolutely. People are afraid of credit. They're afraid of credit cards because of the horror stories they've heard about people who have too much debt, so they just don't have any credit at all. That's definitely true. So let's just get down to it. What is credit? Why do we need it? What is it? Credit is basically the thing that lenders look at before they issue you a loan or a credit card. It's your financial history. It's who you are as a person in the financial world, whether or not you can be trusted to borrow money or to pay something back on time. So what would a person need credit for? You would need it for anything from getting a mortgage to getting a credit card that gives you rewards, a credit card that actually will help you do certain things. That's not a basic credit card. You need credit history in order to get something that will let you get travel rewards, for instance. You also need credit sometimes to rent an apartment. If anyone has sure. ever done an application, yeah, landlords will check your credit history. And it's sort of this proxy for how responsible you are. For better or worse, that's become what it is for a lot of industries. And so you need credit history in order to get financial products, but that's a little bit of a chicken before the egg problem where you still need to build credit in the first place. So that's where people get confused. So we just talked about why it's important to have credit, but is it hard to get credit? Like say I'm a beginner, I've always been nervous about it, but I, I know I need to start building credit. Where should I start? It's not hard to get credit. Anyone can get it starting today. It just depends on how you do it and whether or not you do it responsibly. So if you have a student loan, you have credit. That's called an installment loan. It's on your credit report. Whether or not you pay that loan off on time will affect your credit score. So if you have a student loan and you pay it off on time every month, you're building good credit, which is great. If you only have student loans, though, you will not build a high enough credit score likely to get the things you want. Generally, a credit mix is actually part of that score calculation. So having lots of different types of credit will help you. But in order to actually build credit from scratch, there are three major ways to do it. Okay. You can become an authorized user on a person's credit card. You can get a secured credit card. So to become an authorized user, give me an example. Um, is that like if you're, you know, a parent lets you use their card for emergencies? Exactly. Or they so, give you a card. And, how does that work again? So a parent will add you as an authorized user onto their credit account, and you'll get your own credit card with your name on it. And you can use it for anything that you would want to buy, you know, make a purchase for. But 
your parent or whoever the actual owner of the account is will be ultimately responsible for paying off those purchases. So the best way to do it is to make a couple of charges or add a recurring payment, perhaps, on that card, and then pay back the owner of the account if you can, right? But what happens is you get a credit file as a result of those payment, that payment history. So if you and the, and the person for whom you are an authorized user are both making payments on time, that's going to create positive credit history for you. So it's important to choose wisely whose card you're added onto. Absolutely. Generally, a responsible parent is a good start. So that's one way. I think that's a pretty easy way if you have someone around who's willing to do it for you. If you don't, Another option is a secured credit card. And with that option, you will pay a deposit up front. Okay. And that becomes your credit limit. It's usually very small. It's maybe $200. Okay. And you can make purchases just like you would with any other credit card. And if you choose to close the account later on and you get a regular, traditional, unsecured credit card, you'll get that money back, the deposit that you originally put down. Closing accounts is a little bit tricky. That can actually have a negative impact on your score. That's a really good question. So sometimes people will pay off a credit card and they'll, they'll shut it down. And they'll be like, sweet, now I can't, I can't use that credit card anymore. I'm doing something great for myself. And then they'll see a ding on their credit score. Why does that happen? That's so unfair. It does sound unfair. And unfortunately, what happens is when you close an account, your average length of credit history goes down. Suddenly, all the history that you built up with that account goes away. So you're starting from the first day of your next oldest account opening. Interesting. And then what also happens is, say you have a credit limit of $2,000 on that card, but the card you keep open has a credit limit of $1,000 and you have $300 of debt outstanding. Suddenly your credit utilization ratio becomes higher because you have $300 in debt on a $1,000 credit limit instead of a $2,000 credit limit. Or however, if you can imagine, that ends up actually making it so that it looks like you have more debt compared to your credit line. Sure. Yeah. Interesting. I generally don't recommend closing accounts. I mean, really do not do it in most cases. A secured credit card is a tricky one because those often come with fees. And if you're not using the secured credit card anymore, it might actually save you more money to close the account because then you won't be incurring fees on it. But overall, a secured card is a great way to get started if you really have no other option. If you, however, don't want to put money down, you don't want to make that $200 upfront deposit, which a lot of people can't, you can get a credit builder loan. Huh. It's a really great option not a lot of people know about. They're generally offered through community banks and credit unions. Huh. So what happens is, sort of like a loan to yourself. You apply for the credit builder loan, and say you apply for a loan of $500. $500 ends up in an account at a credit union, and it's there for you when you're done making payments. So you can sign up for a loan with a $25 payment over the course of two years, and when those two years are up, you get the money back that you've been paying towards yourself, essentially, over the course of those two years. So it's a way of getting a loan that appears on your credit report, but with an amount of money that you're able to pay per month. And then basically it's like a savings account. You have money waiting for you at the end of it. 
Well, that's great. So that seems like a good way to get started as well. Definitely. There's a lot of mysterious ways that our credit scores get dinged. First of all, what is a way to just check your credit without having your credit dinged? Thankfully, there are so many ways of checking your credit these days, more and more every day, it seems like. Places like NerdWallet offer a place to go to check it for free. You sign up with an account, and you can check your score anytime you want, and it will never affect your score. Checking your own credit does not affect your score. That's great. And it is great, and it's actually really important. There is a penalty if you apply for credit cards, for instance. A hard inquiry on your credit report will affect your credit. So that is a good myth that people don't know what will affect their credit score. Absolutely. They really don't. And actually applying for a lot of credit cards over the course of a long period of time, you're just going to get dinged over and over for doing that. And there's really no reason to. That's really interesting because people might apply for a bunch of credit cards, see which one's the right one for them, trying to be responsible, and then they might not even realize that they're just getting themselves into hot water, even though they're trying to find the right card for them. That's true. And, you know, there are some types of loans, though, where if you apply for multiple in a short period of time, it's considered rate shopping. And actually, the credit reporting agencies will understand that you're searching for a loan. So say you are shopping for a car loan and you apply to a couple different lenders in a 14-day period. That, all those different inquiries can count as one inquiry because the credit reporting agencies realize that you're looking for one financial product. It doesn't mean that you're irresponsible. You're not irresponsibly searching for a credit card once a month for a year because you're just trying to get more lines of credit because you can't pay your bills. Sure. So there is a difference between those two things. And generally speaking, 14 days is a, is a safe amount of time to search or shop for a loan. So there are so many different credit cards out there. It's very hard to figure out which one is right for you. So say you do have OK credit. You see that this one has rewards, this one has cash back, there's ads on TV. How do I know where to even begin? What are some things I should look for to know that it's the right card for me and if it's a good deal or it just looks good on the TV ad? It's a great question because we all get so many offers, letters, ads on every website we go to. And so my advice is usually ignore the offers and the letters that you're getting and only search for something when you're ready for it. When you are ready to get a financial product, you are more likely to actually apply wisely and find something that is good for you. So for instance, if you know, you know, I've had this one credit card forever and I have pretty good credit, but it's not really giving me any rewards. It was maybe the first one I got after college and it's not doing anything for me anymore. Think about your goals. So if you're the type of person that travels a lot, a travel credit card that gets you rewards based on your spending could be right for you. If you're the type of person who, even if you travel a lot, but you just can't be bothered with tracking rewards or knowing how the credit card works, cash back might be better because you just know that you're going to get money back every month and that's easy. If you really need to build credit, there are certain credit cards that are good for that. So know your goal, first of all. And then go to reputable places where you know that you're going to be able to see things shown to you in an unbiased way. I work for NerdWallet, but I can say that we really do offer people options that are good for them based on your interests. We're not going to show you things that if you want a rewards credit card or a, a cashback credit card, that isn't right for you potentially with based on your credit score. So what is an example of something that someone might see that's deceptive or that might sound good on paper, but you really have to be a little bit of a smarter consumer to know that it's not right for you? 
it's important to see what fees are associated with every every credit card and every financial product in general. If you are interested in a rewards card, but it comes with an annual fee, you have to do the math to make sure that you're actually going to use enough rewards to offset that fee. That's great, of course. And there are some cards that do offer rewards with no annual fee. What are some other mystery fees we should be on the lookout for? You should always know what your late fee is going to be. That's a great one. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we want to avoid that as much as possible. But it's important to see what you could potentially be up against if you do pay late. I will say, though, that if you have had a longstanding relationship with a credit card issuer and it's your first time that you're paying late, you can call them up and say, can you waive this fee? It's my first time. And I would say that there's a good chance that they'll do it. I think that once happened to me where I missed it by a day, and I, I called and I said, I thought I paid it, and they, they did waive it because I've been pretty good about it. But it is important to be proactive and not just assume that you're out that money. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me what are some other things that can harm your credit that you may not know about? Because there's also a lot of myths out there. There really are. There really are. Some things that can harm your credit can also include not having enough mix of credit types, right? I mean, that's not going to harm it. It's just not going to increase your credit score as much as it possibly could. Um, Keeping a high credit utilization ratio. So, for instance, we know that maxing out your credit card isn't a good idea, just in general. But the people with the best credit scores are keeping their credit utilization, meaning the amount of their credit limit they're using, they're keeping it at 10% or below. The rule is to keep it at 30% or below. That's generally the guideline. But really, put as little as you possibly can on that card and pay it off at the end of every month. That's the dream. That's the dream. Or if you put all of your purchases on one credit card and pay it off at the end of the month, that's okay too, as long as you're actually paying it off. And also, you don't necessarily want to use a huge percentage of your credit limit at any one time. You want to keep it pretty low throughout the month if you can. So credit utilization is a big one. So I remember when I was in college, it was like the first week of school, they set up this whole bunch of tables in front of the student union, and it was all like hippie jewelry and incense and blacklight posters and credit cards. Um, And I remember a friend of mine who's now very successful, she took out a credit card there and she proceeded to go shopping and then she spent the rest of college paying off that one shopping trip. How can we tell people that we know and love who are young and really want to be responsible consumers how to start having good credit and good credit habits? Well, the first thing to say about that that's interesting is that the Credit Card Act of 2009 stopped, for the most part, marketing of credit cards on campus. So young people don't really have the same amount of access to credit cards as they did. That's great. Yeah. So (laughs) so overall, that's a good thing. However, it also means that young people aren't necessarily learning about credit as early as they used to. They don't have access to the same types of credit as early on. So really think of credit as something that it's up to you to build and protect And think of it as something that's going to be a tool for you, a positive tool to get what you want in the future. If you start building and protecting your credit now, you know, in your early 20s, if you're in college or just about to graduate, you will have this amazing tool to wield anytime you need it. If you're applying for an apartment with friends, if eventually you do want to buy a house, if you want to get a car, if you want to do anything that feels like a major life milestone, having really good credit in your back pocket without even thinking about it, just knowing, oh, my credit's good, I don't have to worry about this, is huge. That can just be a huge weight off your shoulders. So to build it, start really small. Start with a credit card that you put your Netflix or Spotify payment on it, 
And every month, just send your send an automatic payment up so that you are paying off that balance from your checking account every month, and you're not even thinking about it. You've got one payment on your card that's recurring, and you know that you're building up credit that way. And then when you feel like you can be more responsible and put larger purchases on it and pay it off at the end of the month, then that's fine. But start small with one recurring payment, and you're likely going to be in a pretty good spot if you also have a student loan, for instance, or other types of credit that you've already been using. What are some ways to improve your score? So say you're in the 500 or 600 range, you'd really love to clean it up. What are some ways to start? The first thing to do is to check your credit report to make sure there aren't any errors on it. That can unfairly ding your credit score, in fact. So you can get a free credit report every year from each of the three major credit bureaus at annualcreditreport.com. And then also a lot a lot of websites that offer you your credit score for free, you can check your report there too. So make sure that there aren't any errors. And if there are, a loan you didn't take out or a payment that looks like you missed it but you know you didn't, dispute those and make sure that that's clean. So that, you know, if that is the case for you, could increase your score a little bit. How can I dispute something like that? You'll have to write a letter to the credit bureau where it appears that there is an inaccuracy. There's a whole process to go through, so it will take some time, unfortunately. But another thing to do is to automate all your payments for everything because payment history accounts for 35% of your FICO score, which is one of the two main types of credit scores. So if you want to increase your credit, Make sure that absolutely every payment you make is on time always, especially if you have a history of a couple of missed payments, for instance. Certain missed payments, I mean, they're only going to be on your credit report for seven years. That sounds like a long time, but they will come off. A bankruptcy can only be on your credit report for 10 years, so that will come off. So there is something to be said also for just knowing that over time, your old negative marks will eventually come off the report. But to be proactive, do things right, make your payments on time. Keep your credit utilization low. If you want to have a bigger mix of credit types, look into that. If you only have a student loan, for instance, and you want to increase it, get a secured credit card. So it's really about balancing all these different inputs into the credit score while also making sure you don't go into further debt trying to do that. Absolutely. So here's the last question. For our listeners who do have credit card debt and trying to think of tactics on how to pay it off responsibly in the new year, what are some ways to start? There are a couple of different strategies you can use. So there's two things called the debt snowball and the debt avalanche. So the snowball, then basically it depends on what you want to do and how you want to go about it. In one case, you're paying off the highest interest rate debt first. In the other, you're paying off the smallest bill or the smallest debt and then you feel more motivated that way. So you can choose one of those two strategies if you'd like to. And then, of course, also the balance transfer card is a really good option for people who have a lot of credit card debt and want to just get rid of it in a specific amount of time, almost give them a deadline to take care of this. And that means paying more than the minimum each month. If you're provided minimum payment from your credit card company, you can pay more than that. I think that's also, in a way, a myth where it's not the required payment, it's the minimum. Pay more than that if you can. Absolutely. Sometimes the minimum can mean you're going to be paying off a $100 purchase for way longer, and you're going to be paying a lot more than $100 for it in the end. Absolutely. Well, this was fantastic. And tell me and tell our audience where they can learn more about you and learn more about what you're doing and what you're writing about. Absolutely. You can come to nerdwallet.com and read my articles. You can also follow me on Twitter at Brianna McScribe. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. I hope to have you back. I would love to come back. Thank you so much for having me. 
Thanks for listening to Teach Me How to Money. Send us your questions at teachmehowtomoney at stashinvest.com and we'll try to answer them on a future episode. If you like what you're hearing, leave us a review on the iTunes store, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Don't have Stash yet? Just go to stashinvest.com slash podcast and you can get $5 to get you started on your investment journey. Stash, it's your money, simplified. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute a recommendation from Stash to the listener. Neither Stash nor any of its officers, directors, or employees makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any of the information contained in this podcast and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Stash, and Stash is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of advice by Stash to the listener, nor to constitute such a person a client of Stash.